Canyon will be a town with a bunch of small town charm, with thriving things to do, with the best school district in the Texas Panhandle. You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. Canyon, Texas is one of those idyllic small towns that people love to fawn over. In in many regards, it's Mayberry-esque. You half expect a lanky sheriff who moonlights as the justice of the peace to keep the town in line. Of course, it's not perfect. And while you could probably forget to lock your door or car at night, more times than not, everything would still be fine in the morning. And and while I live a few miles outside city limits, Canyon is my hometown. It's it's where WT is. It's it's where I spend the vast majority of my grocery and dining money. And it's a place I can pop into any number of businesses and people know me by name from my mechanic to my banker and my favorite Thai places. You can't do that in Amarillo, much less my native Chicago. But this magical place just doesn't happen on its own. It takes a person toiling in the trenches to make sure everything comes together. My guest today is Joe Price, city manager of Canyon. Welcome to the show, Joe. And Tell us how you became the manager of this little piece of Eden. Uh, thanks, Nick. It's uh, it's great to be here. Um, it's great to see you again. It's been it's been way too long. Um, I'm lucky that I have to. I've, I've been given this amazing opportunity to be a part of a special community like Canyon, as you mentioned. Canyon, in in my mind, is kind of the you know the mecca in West Texas out here. It's a very special place. We have very little turnover at the city manager role. In fact, I'm the third city manager in 50 years. And so I'm the only third city manager out of a 50-year duration. Myself, Randy Criswell, and Glenn Ray Metcalf have been city manager for Kenyon for the last half century together. So That's amazing. <laughs> that, just, that should just exclamation mark of how special Kenyon is and how much people want to be here, part of what, what great things Canyon has to offer. And and more than anything, it's just a, a phenomenal place to live out here, as you said, Eden in West Texas. It's it's really unique with with our landscape and our trees and our in our and the way we look. It really looks nice. It doesn't look like a traditional flatland. Well I agree with you. I love I love Canyon. It is it is such a cool little town to be a part of. And um you know, I've seen it change a lot in my time here, um, and I I know it will continue to change. And um, I, I hope we can hang on to all those good things that have guided and directed this town through the last what century and a quarter or whatever since it since it was formed. Uh, I must mention that I had the privilege of being your professor along with your wife Stephanie. Um, I recall with great fondness our study abroad to London in 2011 and. There we were. I remember trying to deal with our old school credit cards with magnetic stripes, and we didn't have those the chip cards yet. And they were all they were they were already as commonplace there as they are now here. And we were having uh, we were having trouble sometimes getting money out of ATMs. And but we had a fantastic time in London. It was it was great to get to know you and Stephanie then as as well as see you in relation to your father, a longtime faculty member here at WT. Uh, did you know back then that this was something you wanted to do? 
I either wanted to go into public administration, which is what city management is, or into the legal field. And uh, I've really started to have that desire in graduate school. Um, obviously, having a bachelor's and a master's in political science, it, it was pretty government-oriented. I like structure. I've always liked structure and, you know, trying to, to be a part of that. And uh, ultimately, I did some internships while I was in undergrad and graduate school. And then I did I did some work at a law firm when I departed from graduate school and finished. And, and just I didn't want to see myself in the legal field in, in that capacity. And I really wanted to make a difference. And what better place to do that than in local government? And so, you know, I could have gone into any type of government from state to federal, but it's really hard to see that impact at those levels. You know, if we redo a road here in town, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see that impact. I'm going to see the improvements. If we redo the square, which we've been working on, you know, I'm going to see those results. You don't necessarily see those types of results when you have major policy passage at the state or federal level. And that's kind of what steered me this way is to try to, you know, be able to make an impact. My my fundamental value um, that I derived directly from being an Eagle Scout is, you know, I want to leave this place better than when I got here. And uh, whenever day that happens, either I stay here forever and retire one day or what, I just want this place to have been better for the work we did together as a community and as a city staff. Uh, it's been said that a city manager's duties are basically just to carry out the policies enacted by the city council, regardless of whether you ag- agree or disagree with them, as well as run the city and all of its services. And, well, a couple of caveats, as long as it's ethical and legal. Don't you just hate those little technicalities there? But in all seriousness, this this seems like one of those jobs, kind of like the weatherman that as long as everything's going fine, no one says anything. But as soon as someone hits the same pothole twice, suddenly complaints start flying. It's like that becomes job one, right? We got to fix the pothole problem. You know, sunny in 75 is is one thing, but smooth sailing or driving, I guess, along with stoplights that are always green. Well, that's a lot of people's expectations. They just want they want their life to just go really smooth and fast and never get stopped for anything. Why is it that the little things can become such big things? I mean, I guess we've got to blame someone, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's the little things in life. You've got to take those uh, in stride. Um, you know, the funny thing, you know, potholes are always that that premier example. Obviously, we can't be everywhere. The city is seven and a half square miles. Hypothetically, if if we just know about it, that's the primary aspect. Please just call and tell us, and we'll take care of it. Um, and we usually do it in pretty you know pretty expedited amount of time. It's knowing is half of it, and nine times out of ten, we didn't know it or didn't realize it. And sometimes when we do have a problem area, like we've had some problem area in front of Joe Taco, when we've brought in a contractor twice to work on that part of that brick street because it was constant occurrence, we were constantly hearing about it, we were experiencing the rough parts of that on that. But nine times out of 10, it's just simply knowing and just simply emailing or texting one of us or, you know, picking up the phone and calling us. That's half the battle more than anything. And we can usually get it fixed pretty easily. It's There's very few things that we, we don't get addressed. 
It could be a lot worse. We could be about a thousand miles north of here and we have to deal with snow for four or five months out of the year. I mean, it's it's rare when we the snow plows have to come out in Canyon, Texas. But man, in the north, people complain about it all the time because they get out and shovel their driveway and then the snow plow comes and puts it all back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just it's just part of the job, you know. We have to prepare for that. We know, you know, the things that also come with that cold is we're gonna have water line breaks because you know, hot and cold ground temperatures, the the constriction and 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 the pipe going in and out, and you know, as, as the ground hardens and then softens and back and forth and back and forth, those things are going to happen. So we're well aware of it. And a lot of the worst breaks sometimes we have is right in the middle of those cold times, and someone's going to have to get in that water. Well, I'm working on 35 years here now, and and looking back, I can see that Canyon has indeed changed in some ways, yet remains steadfastly the same in others. Uh, I remember December 2014, nine years ago, that beer and wine at retail were legalized. And that caused a lot of consternation, especially in some religious circles. I mean, I I remember going across the street to the United and they didn't waste any time clearing out that whole second aisle. (laughs) You know, it's it's got beer and wine on one side and chips and snack foods on the other side. It's like, wow, they were ready for that one. And and it didn't take long for that to suddenly just become the new norm. Um, A few restaurants even had full bars with, with liquor, not just beer and wine. That's not the canyon I moved to last century. Um, yet we seem to have done okay with all that change. Um, I've also been here long enough to have seen, oh, lots of demolition. Steve's Texaco across the street is now the Taco Villa. I mean, I used to buy my gas there and get my cars worked on. Uh, The other old gas station at the corner of 23rd Street and 2nd Avenue was torn down so that Pizza Hut could build an entirely new place. And the old Wendy's just came down recently, replaced by a new one. Oh, and Donut Stop right across the street being replaced by a Whataburger. Um, it, you know, that, that building wasn't even that old. I mean, I could go on, obviously, but I, I hear tell that we once had six groceries here, even in Canyon, long before my time. Actually, I think I've there might have been four when I got here, down to three pretty quickly, and now, of course, all we have are two. What kinds of changes have you seen happen in Canyon? Well, just just noteworthy amount of changes you know the biggest thing i can say everything on growth and development commercial and residential is an all-time high we had some growth in the 1970s and so this has exceeded that growth so everything from development and redevelopment is at an all-time high we're doing more commercial development now than we've ever done speaking of like whataburger you know we were very much involved in uh, that negotiation most of these fast food joints, they have someone come in and build a suite. And so they had a they have a company that comes in and helps build them and then that company leases back to them. And so we took part in that um, with them. We've tried to do several others. I got a lumber yard on the north side of town that's coming in. Um, that's that's in the works right now. We are extending them water service as we speak. That gets awarded on Monday. Uh, actually, yeah, Monday we gets awarded. But a lot of that, we've really tried to work in a partnership with these these uh, commercial and new developments. The hard part is we can't fit the bill for everything. And so trying to negotiate some of those, you know, with Whataburger, the city um, organization helped with the water line. We helped, we had to remove and replace some of that water line to bring in Whataburger. That was about 50,000 
Um, and so, and then they did get some economic development incentive dollars to do that. We also assisted moving two houses, which I had never seen. I, I've heard of it. I've never seen it in person until now. We literally helped them move those um, by police presence. We waived the fees for all that, um, but to help move those and not and not demolish. It would have been clearly cheaper to demolish those houses than moving them. It's about, I think it's twenty to 25000 a house to move. Yeah. And so we have tried to embrace a lot of it, especially the commercial side, because I know we know the public really loves the commercial side of the, the stuff. Some people that have been here a long time are apprehensive on the housing growth. The biggest thing that I, we hear on that growth is that people want to move here for Kenyon ISD School District and to go to Kenyon High School. That is the most consistent answer that we get. Um, there is no consistency on who's moving here. These aren't Californians moving to Canyon for the most part. There's a few people moving from Amarillo, a few people moving from out in the panhandle here. There's, there's, it's just a hodgepodge of everyone moving here. But just trying to predict the growth is the name of the game now. Well, and to, to piggyback on uh, that big decision that happened nine years ago when beer and wine suddenly became legal. Now we got a brewery coming to town and and we've got a meadery on the east side and they're both doing great. They're going to expand and the brewery is uh, doing a total renovation of the yep. depot and building a separate structure to house all their brewing. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. It's like, is this the, really Canyon, Texas? Wow, we've come a long way. <laughs> so uh, that's a good that's a good project. I worked with those owners for 18 months before we got that off the ground. Um, and I needed Stephanie Tucker, the EDC director, to come and help me finish that project. The city actually owned the structure that they're going into. We'd had for a long time. And so we did work and get them an incentive agreement uh, from the city as well as the EDC. Um, but those are some of the things that have come out of our city planning is trying to embrace those types of uh, those types of businesses. Uh, and, you know, and the biggest one I think that surprised us is, uh, is Creek House, you know, our, uh, Honey Creek, Honey Creek has really surprised us. Um, and I think they're surprised too. And, uh, it has just flourished. It has just flourished. You know, we never thought it would be what it is, but, you know, people from Amarillo are coming down to go to these places too. um, visit Amarillo. One of their stops is Creek House. And so, I mean, it's, these things are big deals. Um, I'm thankful the Ponticetta group, uh, those guys are Canyon Canyon boys. Um, both their families live here in, in the Canyon area. And so we're very excited to embrace them and, and make them a part of our community and ha- expand their business to Canyon. They'll be doing a massive amount of brewing at that location. You know, they want to expand their footprint statewide to expand their retail side. In 1990, the population of Canyon was about 11,300. And a couple of years ago, the latest stat that I had, and you can correct me on this, uh, it was at about 15,300. That's about a 35% growth rate in a little more than 30 years, which comes out to about 1% a year compounded annually. Uh, You would never get rich if you were only making 1% on your money at that rate. (laughs) Uh, But that seems like manageable growth, especially compared to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, which is just, you know, exploding by hundreds of new people every day. Your thoughts on this? I think it's it's manageable. It's most extensive growth. It's a lot of growth for West Texas, um, <clears throat> for a a rural town like we are. 
Um, it does it does uh, take a challenge on the utilities in water and sewer, um, especially growing north. Uh, the wastewater facilities on the southeast side of town, and so it's supposed to grow towards it, not away from it. So those challenges do arise. Uh, but ultimately, we we do return on investment uh, studies on new developments. We do do some of that, and so that's where it comes into cost sharing on some of that. With the metropolitan areas, major metropolitan uh, hubs, they have a lot of impact fees or capital recovery fees for like major infrastructure. So we're starting to get into that issue. So when I mean major infrastructure, I'm talking water towers. I'm talking ground storage tanks. I'm talking lift stations. Those are those are ma- major key infrastructure points, and so those are starting to hit home. Of you know, we're getting to capacity in certain areas. We're unable to serve it without a two to three million dollar investment um, to get a tower, a water tower, or or a lift station to to help move sewer wastewater. Um, I think it's steady enough that we can try to work. The growth. The hard part from from the city commission standpoint and the city staff is funding, helping assist and fund new system expansion. It's kind of not foreign, but just not normal. We've not really done much of that system expansion. We've just done you know rehab and rebuild what we've got and doing some redundancy. And so some of the redundancy has helped benefit the development. We didn't plan it for development. It was for redundancy purposes of the system. And so I know we still struggle with, you know, expanding that, especially with the legislature's deregulation of land use laws. Um, because, you know, if we the worry is we go build a new water tower, which is $4 million, and then it just sits there. The way Canyon East happened is we built a water line, a 10 to 12-inch water line to the east side of town in the 1980s. And it sat there for 20 years. And then the owners came about, and that's when Canyon East came along 20 years later. So hmm. it's wow. It's an interesting dynamic, and it's it's just it's hard. You just got to have partnerships with these developers and, and builders. Well, one thing that I go past every day to and from work or going to, you know, just coming to Canyon or Amarillo is uh, the landfill, you know, the uh, the most distinctive element of the local topography. It's the only thing that goes up <laughs> yep. as opposed yep. to down at the canyon. Um, how much longer we got on that? They just opened a new cell not too long ago. So it's got it's got quite a bit. So it's the landfill that it, it used to be BFI, but they're Republic services. And so that's where we take our trash uh, for Canyon. And a lot of the rural area in the Panhandle goes there. Um, they've got quite a bit of time. I'd say probably 2050 at the earliest, if not longer. So they've got a lot of time out there. Um, we have really good relationships with them, um, and we have helped them. Um, they're right next – the city had a landfill back in the day, and so it's right next to it. And so we closed our landfill when uh, Subchapter D came out. Uh, it was a, a new regulations that helped – that made having a landfill more difficult. And so we have tried to help work with Republic on some of their stuff, and but it's going to be here for a long time. Well, I, I joke that it might make a really good toboggan run when they're done with it all. You know, they might have to make the snow most of the time, but <laughs> yeah. it could be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest hill we got around. It here. is, no doubt. 
In spite of our modest growth rate, um, growth in the rural county area between Canyon and Amarillo is rampant. I, I know when I arrived here, people said that Amarillo and Canyon would one day meet in the middle. And this, mind you, in 1989 was when Sancy Road, which is FM 2590, I yep. believe, actually had a dirt section between Amarillo and Canyon. Hard to believe that that road was once dirt. Um, you would never know that today. Um, well, Canyon and Amarillo still haven't quite met, but it looks like it might happen in the next few years, just based on the number of houses and businesses I see sprouting up along it, like daffodils in the springtime. How long do you think it will be before they really do run into each other? I think we already are in a certain way. Uh, the city of Canyon has what is known as an extraterritorial jurisdiction. So ours is a mile and it goes. So if you go from the city limits out a mile, that's where some of our jurisdiction ends on some of the regulations we can do. Amarillo's goes five miles because, and it's all based on population. So our, obviously they're a lot bigger and it actually overlaps now. And so we have to look at some of that. Um, but a lot of these growth out in the in the rural areas is a lack of regulation. The county can only do so much in regulation. And so there's no there's no inspections on these homes that are being built unless the owners or the financers require it, which that probably does happen at times. So there's no no overlook of any of this. And so they're just building it. The only thing that the county watches is making sure the drainage and the roads are built correctly. And so the biggest challenge we run into is drainage, making sure you don't flood your neighbor or anybody downstream, because that would be uh, prohibited um, because of Texas Water Code Chapter 34, diverting and pounding. And so you can't you can't trespass somebody. So if I built something and you live next to me, Nick, and I flooded your property, that would be a trespass. And so there would could be legal action taken by you against me. And so on a large scale, you're changing the, the, the geography of a, a piece of land extensively. And so those are challenges. But the biggest thing that people do in their buildings, traditional neighborhoods out in the middle of nowhere, which is not what we grew up seeing. You know, you'd have a house here or there off of FM Road, but not full neighborhoods. They're trying to do like traditional city neighborhoods out in the rural area. And so what we have that they don't is we have a, a very high level of service that they'll never get. <laughs> they'll never get it, unfortunately. You never. We have more police per capita than the county does, so it, we're always going to be faster. And so additionally, we have trash service. We have turnkey service, trash, water, sewer, inspections. We have nuisance abatement. There's a lot of things we can offer that they just won't get out there, but that's what people want. You know, some people want a little extra property. Um, and so it's just taken off and it seems like they can't build it fast enough in Canyon Amarillo. So they're going out there. Plus the lot, they, people just don't write regulation and what we have in the Canyon Amarillo area, our regulation compared to even metro major metropolitan areas are very minimal, very minimal. There are some, but they're very minimal. Growth brings challenges no matter how you slice it. And it doesn't matter if it's inside city limits or not. Um, because those people, if they, even if they live out of town, they're technically going to come to town for a lot of things and they're going to put stresses on infrastructure. So it means basically you got to rethink everything from speed limits to highway sizes, like the number of lanes, uh, whether there's a full berm, parking. 
Not to mention all those other things like drainage and water or watering. Uh, you know, it, that becomes uh, a contentious issue when we don't get rain or burn bans for that matter. Uh, outdoor advertising, you know, billboards, all that. I've noticed a lot of new double stack billboards going up um, in and around Canyon. Um, awful lot of new ones. So there's a lot more matters than many people really never stopped to ponder. And I realize that TxDOT and Canyon Police and other entities may play a role in some of these other matters, but I still cannot doubt that it, it's on your mind. I mean, you're the city manager and all these things are still going to have an impact. So what's your office doing these days to accommodate not only the growth of Canyon, but also the nearby outlying areas? I'd say, uh, you know, we have had more speed limit changes than I've seen in a while. And so a lot of those conversations start with our elected officials, them talking to our citizens and businesses. And uh, TxDOT is very open-minded. You have to do a, a study, a traffic speed study on all those. We actually have a speed limit being changed right now um, from the east side of town going from I-27 and Canyon East all the way into town by the FUB. First United Bank Center, that that will be lowered. Um, it's just because, A, growth and traffic volume increasing and businesses out there along that side. Um, and so, thankfully, we've not had a bunch of fatalities there, but that goes into it, you know, how many cars and what speed they're going. But I think we've worked really well to help address that. The commercial is the big piece that's really having the impact, is having those needs. Um I know from Walmart and uh, and uh, and United, the grocery stores, they're the ones that are, you know, feeling a lot of that because those people are coming into doing those. Um, that's why we're embracing the commercial piece, you know, and and hoping that they'll, you know, the sustainability is always on our mind is, is you know, if a new commercial comes in, is it sustainable? Um, and I know we're getting more types of commercial um, opportunities that we've not had in the past. Um, and we still, we have three or four right now in the midst of being worked through, uh, but those have brought new things we never would have happened had it not been for these outlying areas. Um, in terms of uh, uh, quality of life, we are working hard to make investments in our parks. Um, you know, we built the Aqua Park um, in 2016. It's the only tax election we've done in our history that I can find. And so that has been an amazing investment. We had 40,000 people go through there this summer. Um, a lot of those people aren't just Kenyan folks. They're people that live outside of town. They're also people in Amarillo. And so we serve a lot of people in that regards. And a lot of them do get uh, annual passes, annual permits. And, and we've not made that exclusive to just Kenyan residents. And so we have really embraced that. We have a new all-inclusive playground. I don't know if you've seen it or not. $1.4 million playground project that we just finished um, and dedicated to Kylie Heiner. Uh, shout out to them. And uh, we worked with uh, Southwest Ambucks. Lions Club was big and brought some dollars in. The city put a lot of dollars in. The EDC put a lot of dollars. It was probably one of the best three P's that I've seen, you know, public-private partnership by far in my career. And it just became phenomenal. It's right next to the cap. If you haven't been out there, you need to go see it. It's a handicapped um, ADA inclusive playground, and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So we're working hard to make those improvements. The other part of that quality of life, our golf course is probably the most publicly played golf course in the Amarillo and probably Lubbock region. 
Um, we do about 27 to 30,000 rounds annually. <clears throat> we are really days away from doing a $4.5 million um, debt obligation to redo the irrigation system for that golf course and some other projects there to improve it because we want to keep it. So those are a bunch of things that we're trying to do to to make that quality of life just be that much better here in town and in that in that and then also the the downtown. We have an eye for it. We finished a a master downtown plan recently. I am actively working trying to get that. It all takes money, and you know how that is. Thankfully, we're very aggressive on grants. But those are some of the things that we're really pushing that benefits everybody. If you live in Canyon or not, you know, that makes this community special. It's not like we're growing so fast as to need a bypass just yet. Uh, in fact, we may never really need one, at least on the north and west side, since we, we already have four-lane Highway 60 kind of serving that purpose. And I-27, when it was built decades ago, kind of skirted around the east side of Canyon. But, you know, could you envision a time when a southern loop were necessary to shuttle traffic around what might become very congested areas. I mean, I, I see in Amarillo where they're extending the loop on the west. Yep. Lubbock is building an outer loop, second, a loop around the loop. Their second loop, yep. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of like uh, San Antonio and Houston there with their concentric circles of, of loops. Uh, I guess it's just, uh, it goes with growth. Do you, do you think that'll ever happen here? I don't think so with the topography and terrain of South Canyon. And I mean, it's going to be very difficult for that to happen in my, in my opinion. Doesn't mean it won't. Um, the big thing that's coming that I hope people can wrap their head around, they're widening I-27 to six lanes. It will be the largest TxDOT project for our district, our Amarillo district office. It's a $250 million project. They're going from four lanes to six lanes, and that's going to start this next year. Um, and it's, it's and we're moving utilities now to adjust for it. Um, and that will start right there at the junction point where our water tower is on the north side of town. It'll go from there up, up to Amarillo. And so there's an ultimate build out to, to tie Emerald and Canyon. And, and one day, you know, there'll be a 10 to 12 foot path, the pedestrian path for bikes and walking all the way from Canyon to Amarillo one day. That may be 10, 15 years from now, but there are plans to do all that. And so those will continue to, to move forward. Um, I don't think 60 will be widened anytime soon, but I-27 is really, is really, especially right there. The traffic count right there at the juncture point of 6087 and I-27, I when you, those come by, it's about thirty nine to 40,000 a day traffic. That's significant. It is. Yeah. It is. And so those will happen. I don't think a loop will happen right now. Um, I, I, we had a spur, uh, which is Russell Long Boulevard. Actually, the city, in, in, a, in a, cooperative, a cooperation effort with WT, has taken the spur from TxDOT in order for WT to make it look very pretty and nice, and TxDOT wouldn't allow any of that. And so we're working with TxDOT on that. We uh, we got it all painted with pedestrian-friendly and bike lanes. Uh, but in terms of the road front, TxDOT's making lots of massive investments right now, not just in addition to the loop. This will be the biggest project today. It'll be a five-year project, too. So, so this means that anybody who commutes – <laughs> to and from Canyon Amarillo, better leave about, what, 15 to 30 minutes earlier? <laughs> and, yeah, and they're going to lower the speed limits and all that. So we looked at that the other day. The other kicker, the other one is 
They're also about to do a project on FM 2590, which is the other piece. Oh, no, at the same time. At the same oh. time. It's probably a two-year project, but they're going to put in traffic signals at four of the intersections, and they're going to add some turn lanes in as well. And two of those are in Kenyon. One's at Hunsley, one's at Country Club, and then they're going to do two others uh, in the in the outlying county, county area. I think McCormick maybe one, and FM 20. Uh, to, uh, 2219, FM 2219, where Tootin Totem and Pakistan are, is going to be another. So there's four of those going in. That project's about to kick off as well, and it will be overlapping. So there will be no good way to get to Amarillo. <laughs> yes, or Canyon or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. So and oh, I I drive that 2590 road all the time. Yes. And it's not faster, y'all. Oh, no, no, no. It's actually slower, but I don't know why I continue to do it. Well, the speed limit used to be 70 on it. I used to ride my bike on it. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, no. it's It'd be scary. Yeah. No, that's okay. Uh, what would happen if we were to suddenly double our growth rate to 2%? That would be... 300 new residents a year, which that eh, may not sound like a whole lot. That's like, that's Dallas-Fort Worth on any given day, but it would still balloon into more than 3,300 new residents in a decade. Are, are we prepared for an increase in the rate of growth? We would just run into utility issues from the water and sewer system. And, you know, we've already turned people away. So we have already turned new development wanting to come into town away because we couldn't afford the infrastructure. Um, East side of Canyon is at capacity um, just about. So Canyon East cannot grow anymore. That side of the area, we can probably do a little bit of commercial growth around Allsop's and, and 27, but we cannot put any more houses. In fact, um, Canyon's East last unit is on septic. So we allowed septic, and so we've been very pro, pro-development, pro allowed septic in their own city water. So they had to be half-acre lots. That's what's required. But – that's what it would come down to, Nick. We would just have to turn more people away. We've already turned some away, and we, we will continue to do that. Um, in order to have Canyon East, that area, grow, we have to build a water tower, ground storage tank, and a lift station. And when I did those assessments about two and a half years ago, it was $20 million for that type of debt service. So you mentioned a canyon is about seven and a half square miles. I know that has grown in recent years, especially going up FM 2590. It now extends north of uh, Country Club. Correct. Yeah, it goes, uh, we end at um, Spring Lake. Spring Lake's our northern um, boundary. Right now, we have a thousand homes coming online. That won't happen in one year, but that's what's already coming online. So I've got 660 in this new development we have on 2590. And then I've still got Spring Canyon out there. That's still got probably 250 to go if they stay rural. And then I've got another possible custom home subdivision that's got 180 lots. I've already got 1,000 lots right now going forward. So that's easily enough, your 3%. But it'll take time to do that. Things are slowing down with interest rates. You know, these developers are getting 9% interest rates. Um, to do it. And people aren't buying houses at the interest rates level they are for mortgages. Is annexation a possibility or or would we be looking at how bigger cities do it by increasing population density? I mean, I, I know that sounds like very Dallasy or whatever, but even in Canyon, that could occur if we built more apartment complexes that are three and four stories that find people living in not just on top of each other, but just generally in greater proximity to one another. That's a great question. You know, we've been talking a lot about that internally, and we've had some communication with our elected body on that. Um, 
we will never probably ever do a requirement on, there are some cities that do require certain density. Um, we'll never do that. Emerald will never do that. Um, but we do feel that duplexes and triplexes are becoming more of a product now because of affordability. I do think with some of the growth we've had, we don't have as much affordability in the home market as we as we once had. In terms of the growth dynamics, typically when you build new homes, people in the existing part of town will, as they grow and age and, and increase their salaries and funds, they will move upwards, you know, when they get older and move into a nicer new home. And then that frees up their affordable house for new families and others that can't afford that. We found that that actually is not happening. The people in the central part of town are not doing that very much. They're actually staying put. And we think some of that goes down to affordability, which we, we believe we will have more duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes coming. Um, in our new zoning that we're working on uh, adopting very, very soon, we're hoping to allow for more of those options for new development. It's a little restricted right now. Um, in the zoning, we want to be able to allow more of those types of options, more townhomes, those types of things. Uh, we traditionally just don't have a bunch of that in Canyon. There's just mostly a, a traditional lot with a house on it. Um, but that's becoming more and more prevalent. And uh, staff has embraced it um, because there's a lot of people, unfortunately, can't move here. A new house that's being built is typically going to at the low end at 275 And not everybody can afford that, unfortunately. And we want people to experience Canyon of all shapes and sizes and income levels as well. Um, but unfortunately, people can't afford that. And people can't aren't moving from the center part of town where they could afford. They're staying put. During the pandemic, we had six houses on the market, which is way below um, the, uh, the average. In fact, probably it's unhealthy. And so we still believe there's not enough houses moving in a healthy way. I can't remember what the percentage value, ideal percentage is, but we're under it. And it's, that's in our minds is not healthy. And then there's the issue of schools. You already mentioned CISD being such a powerful attractant. Um, it Canyon's in the precarious situation of, of its school district extending into the Southern part of Amarillo. And uh, while CISD is often highly sought after by parents, all of this growth either in Canyon, South Amarillo, and all the rural area in between, has brought about the rapid need for more schools. And so just a few years ago, there was roughly a $200 million bond issue that came about to fund three new schools. Uh, Those numbers are big. That's a lot of money. And a lot of times taxpayers don't like to hear millions of dollars tossed around as if they were pocket change. How do we navigate those waters? Because surely this is going to come up again in not too many years. I mean, it seems like uh, the number of schools are basically just trying to catch up, never stay ahead. It's hard to build forward. You're just trying to get caught up. You know, one of those three schools is in Canyon. So uh, Spring Canyon Elementary was the first new school we've had in probably 30, 40, 50 years. Um, And so what we do at the city uh, we have uh, direct communication with the uh, the superintendent and his assistant superintendents on a pretty regular basis. Um, we have a very good relationship with them. Um, it's very helpful. Our city commission is very, very supportive of the school district um, and then vice versa with them and us. And so we really try to go out of our way to do whatever we can to help 
CISD when, when they need us. We're going to always have a relationship with them. We do have student uh, uh, school resource officers in multiple schools, and that will continue to grow. Um, but we try to keep them in the know about new developments coming on and all that. And so, you know, we have a, the new one on Perry Williams is building his mud. So that'll affect CISD. That'll affect Canyon High School. And so all of that will go into play and just try and it's they're in the same boat. They're trying to predict it as well um, and when they're going to need another school and what a trigger point is. And so they're trying to stay ahead of that. And so they're trying to get up there and, and go in and have the capacities. Uh, to get there, but that's that's the main thing is is real real time collaboration with with the administration at CISD and and we're having those conversations. We're having those conversations with our county as well. Uh, we try to have those on a regular basis. All of us are we're all at all time high on all this, and so we'll continue to embrace that. When we come back, we'll take a look at what it's like to manage a college town. Blogs come in all shapes and sizes these days, and in more cases than not, it's just someone complaining about something. Rare Indeed is the blog that actually dives into the business and economics events of the day. Profspeak.com, the official blog of the Paul and Virginia Engler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, is just that. With a staff of seasoned and knowledgeable professors who write a new installment each week, it's not over the top like the others. It's on top of things. We'll look for you down at the corner of thought leadership and societal impact. Check it out at Profspeak.com and stay on top too. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT business degree in hand. For more info, find us at wtmu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. It's one thing to have to manage city services and other day-to-day matters in a city of 15,000, but when you factor in a state university with nearly 9,000 students, the dynamics change. About a fifth of those students live on campus. Others live nearby in houses and apartments, and many faculty and staff also live in town or nearby. The university is an organism all its own. In fact, we have our own zip code. We're blessed and supported by the state, and sometimes people might argue, and quite correctly, we can be in our own little world here. I I know we are, Um, but we're still a big part of Canyon. Uh, It may have its own police force, uh, but we still have to coexist with canyons, not to mention Randall County and the state. And then there are those five or six Saturday night football games each autumn, uh, two graduations and other events that create traffic snafus, if only for just a few hours. What challenges do you have in managing Canyon and yet balancing the interests of the city as well as the university? One of the strategic plan initiatives from the elected body was to have a strong, positive relationship with West Texas A&M. We have weekly, if not, I mean, more frequently conversations with them. Um, Randy Reichel uh, and I visit on a pretty regular basis, uh, as well as the commissioners and the mayor, you know, visit on a regular basis with them. I believe pretty much everybody on my elected body um, went to WT or has been impacted by WT one way or another. And through the years, it's fluctuated the relationship we've had as a city with with WT. But uh, with the WT administration and the city administration and city elected officials, our uh, relationship has been really good. It has grown and, and, and it's proven fact now watching each other over the years. The better 
one does, the better we both do. And so it's a very symbiotic relationship. And so we always do better together than we do isolated. Um, From a day-to-day standpoint, WT is technically declared a state government. And so they're on state property. So they don't have to follow any of our local laws or regulations. They can pretty much carte blanche whatever they want within reason of the education code as or the 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 system, and so they can they can do that. So they built a new hotel. They didn't have to do any permitting and all that. And so there was some of that stuff that we do have to go back and forth on uh, on some of that. But ultimately, it's it's been really good. Um, even if it's just us telling them, hey, here's what we're working on, and they're telling us, hey, you know, we're working on this, and just kind of some just up to date communication because they're we're in so two different worlds, but we're we're not in the same in the same scheme of things. Uh, but I think overall, you know, it's really really been successful. I, I know one of the cool projects we're working we've been working on is we're trying to do a really nice WT uh, water tower lighting project over by the WT water tower right next to the First United Bank Center. And so Randy Reichel and I and our engineer have been working on trying to do that lighting project. It'd be a really cool, we'd shine the WT symbol and light that tower with multiple lighting schemes. Um, we're working on that together. So that's a financial collaborative. Um, we've worked on some of the, uh, the taking over the spur has been a big one. They helped do some drainage projects for that. Um, there's been a bunch of projects we've worked together and have, have made it really, really nice. Uh, and, you know, we're preparing for the new um, Texas A&M AgriLife Center coming in. So, you know, we got to make sure we have enough water and sewer to serve it for a big building. But even since I went to WT, um, it has changed dramatically. I still remember you could drive through campus. <laughs> and park in front of your <laughs> yeah, building. <laughs> yeah, right there in front of Old Main. And you can't do that anymore. No. Uh, but. It has changed for the better. I'm thankful for the A&M system and what they've invested in our in our regional university and, you know, what everybody that's impacted this from Dr. Long to uh, from Pat, you know, Ryan and all these WT uh, uh, presidents we've had. Uh, it's really changed the, the dynamic. You know, we get Texas A&M AgriLife coming in with 50 good paying jobs, you know, and it's all just coming in and, and it's just going to make this town that much better. It's no doubt that WT is the biggest employer in town. Throughout my time here, there have been times I felt like not everyone in the city fully embraced the idea of being a college town. And, you know, I I did all my uh, graduate level studies at Indiana U, which for many years, especially all the years I was there, talked about the town and gown dichotomy, that there was this huge division between all the university people and then everybody else. And, And that became... Uh, a central theme in the late 70s movie, Breaking Away, um, you know, in which you had this renegade group of local kids who wanted to race bikes with the college kids. And, you know, they were they were the cutters, you know, you're just a stone cutter out in the limestone field south of town. And uh, it, it looked down upon, actually. Um, I've never felt it was quite like that here. But, but on the other hand, there have been times that's like, I, I've, I've wondered if people were just a little bit maybe afraid of, you know, frat parties and college pranks and all the usual stuff that we all saw on National Lampoon's Animal House. And I know that was just a movie and so forth. And WT is pretty tame compared to that. But what can we as a university be doing to integrate better with the city? You know, I I think it just starts with the relationship and communication at at the forefront. Um, But I'm thankful we don't have many of those issues. I mean, we have those from time to time. Um, 
I do think there was some benefit having alcohol locally where people don't have to drive back and forth. Um, you know, I'm sure some would say if, if we had bars in town, you know, they wouldn't have to drive to Amarillo and yeah, there's always going to be incidents. Um, I can name several in mind where there was fatalities, even, um, people drinking at bars in Amarillo and trying to come back to their dorm or house in Kenyon that were college students and they killed somebody. And, you know, I've seen it firsthand. Uh, but for the most part, I think WT does a, a great job of working with us on a lot of that. And the WT Police Department and Kenyon Police Department work work really well together and cooperatively. We, you know, sometimes have to rely on WT Police Department to back us up on, on certain calls. Um, we have three or four officers on a shift and we have three shifts. And so when we get, you know, locked down or have to take someone to jail, sometimes WT Police have to has to help assist us and I, and they've been very very good about that um, but at the end at the at the at the forefront of your question is just trying to work together for the same purpose we it's going to be hard at times there's going to be things we we don't agree with um, more than anything is at least hearing us out um, with we agree or not or and vice versa as you probably remember from your days here at WT one of the most contentious issues here is parking and you know, like you said, we used to be able to drive right down through the middle of campus, park our car. It's just like going to Toot and Totem, you know, go in, take a class, leave. And just like that, we're gone. Um, it's something everyone from students to faculty and staff pretty much all agree on. There's not many things we agree on, but, but parking's one of them. And we'd love to see more of it. Um, yeah, I know we offer free parking out at the FUB, but for some folks, the idea of relying on a shuttle bus just doesn't register that well. It's kind of like, you know, having to take the train in Dallas or Chicago or someplace like that. You know, we 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 subscribe to car culture. and We're just fine as long as we're in our car. And that's that's about it. So you, you wind up with people circling the lots, waiting for a spot or maybe trying to park on adjacent off campus streets. And well, that's kind of what I do. But, you know, some of those streets have parking bans. It may be on one side, sometimes both sides. Um, and, well, here's the sad thing. There's some some residents don't like the fact that the college community is spilling over onto what they perceive as their side street. You know, they don't want people parking curbside right in front of their house. I mean, I know someone left a note on my van this fall asking me to park somewhere else. <laughs> and I know she doesn't have a leg to stand on. It's a public street, but... At the same time, how do you deal with this one matter? Because everybody, everybody wants to save parking spots. And it's not like they do in Chicago where they, they put chairs, kitchen chairs and traffic cones out in front of their house trying to, you know, reserve their spots. <laughs> we haven't got to that point yet. Good. <laughs> um, it's always going to be a, a battle and, and some of that. And, and you're right. It's a public street. Um, we limit parking on one side sometimes when the street's too narrow for for a traffic, and sometimes people have to pause and wait for a car, and and vice versa. If you wait and, and then they go, and so um, I don't see it changing much uh, right now. Um, I think it does help uh, having the first United Bank parking lot does help some, but you know, being very rural in West Texas, and a lot of the students are are used to that. Um, you're going to, it's just going to have to do it. And so we're not used to having to park and then walk 10 minutes. Um, it's a very uncommon thing for us. And unfortunately they're just going to have to embrace it. All of us are. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when you go to these, these, uh, sporting events, you have to do it. I mean, all of us, even if you get premier parking, you still a lot of most, a lot of times still have to work, uh, walk five minutes. 
Um, it's just a part of it. I think it's, it's just a part of it. There's, you can't manifest land, you know, Mm-mm. we, uh, we had a, some people that didn't like a decision that we made on, uh, on buffs, the restaurant over here. Uh, we allowed them, uh, we waived, uh, uh, the onsite parking. That's a requirement in the international building code that they have to have a certain amount of spots. There's no way to manifest parking at that location. And so if you deny that, that business doesn't happen, you know, and we're very pro business in our community, um, as, as we have been forever. Um, but at the same time, if you don't, you can't just manifest parking and going out and building a massive parking garage isn't the answer. Sometimes I joke that our jobs would be so much easier without all these students around. Of course, I, I am jesting seriously because without them, we're pretty much all unemployed, especially here at the university. Uh, you can sure see what it's like without them as soon as we head off for Christmas or summer break because it becomes noticeably quiet around here. In fact, the silence can be deafening. And, and, and I realize how dear students are to me and everyone else. Uh, how do you reconcile this fact and manage what amounts to a very seasonal surge in demand for city services? Um, that's becoming less and less uh, quiet time. And so um, with the growth, that, that, that situation is not as much as it is as it has been. Um, and I think it'll get less and less because there are so many more people moving here. I think that will just continue to dissolve out. But um, there are a lot of towns, you know, when you look around at other communities and study other communities, um, Sturgis, you know, when they take all those bikers, that town's not that big. No, it's not. It's not. It's not I don't even think it's bigger than Kenyon. No, but you for know, two weeks out of the summer. <laughs> they have to plan for that, that, that balloon. And so it's the same thing here. We try to plan for that. Um, we typically only have, I think we can only house like 2,000 students uh, on campus, which that does help. That's not a, an insane amount of people. Um, but I think, you know, the businesses and everybody, you know, they, they love having having that. And they love having the students. They love, I think for the most part, they enjoy that that piece, you know, being being a part of it. Um, and Kenyon's very unique that way. Uh, it's just that, that small town atmosphere that we have. And I think that's what is very enticing to a lot of students that come here is, you know, when you go to tech, you're going to Lubbock, you know, it, Lubbock's 250,000. It's a massive town, probably the biggest place that any of those students have lived that come And in Kenyon, you know, if you come from Canadian or, or Perryton and, you know, come to school here, you know, it's, it's a little more on that type of path of where you grew up and you're a little more comfortable. Um, but I, I, I do still notice that dynamic change in, in the students being here and not. And so I, I embrace it and love it. And so, and I love to see it. it well, it's good for the economy. Good. And with the opening of the, that third hotel on the east side of Canyon, and of course, we still have uh, the Vintage Motel now, um, I can see us accommodating more summer guests who go to Paldura Canyon State Park. Um, I recently read that Paldura is the third most attended state park in the whole system, right? It's the first now. Oh, it is? It is. Ooh. This last year, it became the first. Oh, my. They had almost 600,000 visitors this last year. Wow. So, it's... yeah, it became, uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember the other uh, The other ones down uh, by Austin that was the most frequented. I can't remember its its name off the top of my head. But, yes, Paldura has now become the, lar- the most visited state park mm-hmm. in Texas. That's That's a great honor. And- 
being able to uh, intercept some of those people or, you know, be home base for them for a couple of days or however long they're staying, that's got to be great for the economy. It is great for the economy. Um, there is some stresses with that. We do get a lot of tourists out here um, that don't understand our heat. And especially, and uh, I think we had at least three people die this summer because of that. And some young, I know one of them was young. Um, and we answer those calls. We have our fire department um, has actual advanced rope training uh, that a lot of uh, several of them do. In addition to Randall County Sheriff's Office, also we cooperatively do that together. Um, but there's there's goods and good and bad with that. So we're always going to be there to help. And obviously, we're not getting paid for any of that work. You know, we're we're all eating that. Um, but it's just a treasure. I mean, we're we're Kenyan. You know, it's named after Powder Kenyan. Um, but we are so happy to have the new hotel and and to just embrace tourism that much more. And how would Canyon react if the WT campus population were to suddenly surge? I mean, that would place a huge demand on Canyon's infrastructure. I think we uh, we would love it. First off, you know, it and in our mind, it has surged. Not just the students, but the actual footprint of WT has surged significantly. Just think of all the stuff they've built in the last five years. With the ag, the Vero, um, you know, they're redoing the education building. They've put a lot of investment. Um, we would love it. You know, we would embrace everything. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about is our sales tax in town is at an all-time high. And so almost to an all-time high that it's hard to quantify in terms of a forecasting amount. And so it's starting to, to, to simmer off, but it actually exceeded property tax for the first time ever this last budget. Um, so we're seeing those impacts. Um, that does help with some of those people that don't live in town to help pay their share by, you know, eating here in town and all that. That does help put back into the road infrastructure, police, fire, those main services. Um, but we would love it. And uh, we we embrace everything that WT does in terms to expand that student population. We have those conversations all the time. Further complicating matters, at least for WT, is that we will be built out before long. We don't have a whole lot of extra land for new classroom buildings or dorms. And we did a major expansion with that whole ag complex, but that pretty much filled up that big parcel of land. We don't have much land left to do anything. So we're rapidly realizing that we're kind of almost landlocked now. And while we may have some underutilized buildings, uh, we might not be able to accommodate many more dormitory residents, for example. Um, they would have to be absorbed into the community, you know, apartments and houses. Is Canyon ready for this possibility? Probably not. Um, you know, and there's, I can't even tell you, I mean, hundreds of rental homes in town. I mean, hundreds, you know, out of our 4,000 4, plus residential units. And so, uh, I know we've had a few, we've had at least one serious contender talk about doing a new apartment complex that would help. Um, and so I think that would be a big challenge to get there. I think we could do it, um, um, but it would be a challenge on on the spot. We would just have to make do with what we got until we got something permanent in place, which could take years. After the break, we'll look into the crystal ball at a canyon, Texas, that may not be all that far into the future. West Texas A&M University has been in the education business since 1910, carrying on a tradition of teaching above all else. And while we made a strong effort to get ahead of the curve in 1997 with our online courses and programs, 
we never forgot our roots. That's another way of saying we're still rocking it old school with face-to-face -face classes. Our classrooms in the Paul and Virginia Engler College of Business are small by design so that you can actually get to know your professors and fellow classmates. It's an intimate learning experience and we offer undergraduate majors in 12 areas. We're double ACSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT BBA degree in hand. For more info, find us at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2525. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. I have long compared Canyon to other Panhandle cities like Dumas and Hereford, both with similar populations to ours. In, in spite of that fact, though, we have remarkably less commercial activity than those two, primarily because of our proximity to Amarillo. And I guess that's another way of saying that because we are so close, it's just long been assumed that we Canyonites would just hop on the E-Way and run to Amarillo for anything we couldn't get in town, like autos, clothing, and, and other items. Dumas and Hereford, though, being more standalone cities, have a far greater mix of commerce, if only because there is much less expectation that their citizens come to Amarillo. But what if we were to wake up one day in the not-too-distant future and we found 30,000 people here and not just 15,000? What changes do you think we would find in commerce, Joe? Uh, would we become a miniature Plano or Frisco to their neighbor Dallas? I think uh, I think we're slowly starting to feel some of those impacts. We are going to we're starting to get some uh, fast food and retail that some of our our small regional towns like you know like Pampa and Perryton, uh, Border. Hereford, Dumas, those those larger regional towns are not that don't have. For example, if you think about it, um, being that I've been across the whole Panhandle, um, we're the only other town to get a Whataburger. So Amarillo has all the Whataburgers, and Kenya will be the next one to have a Whataburger. So uh, that's one. We're in negotiations with another retail spot that nobody else has, or a fast food spot that nobody else has, and we're very close on it. I can't name it yet, um, but you know is getting very close. It's, it's, it's a Mecca type of thing. Those are becoming more and more prominent and we're becoming, le uh, but still, still to a degree, a bedroom community, you know, lots of houses. Um, um, but I think that will just get less and less as we grow and grow. Um, and not just people moving into town, but you know, there's a lot of people right on the outskirts of town too. And so, I mean, if you take what's in town and probably throw another 2,000 people just right outside of town where it'd be like you, Nick, you're closer to come to Kenya than driving the, the 10 minutes to Amarillo. It's, it's more convenient to come here. And if, if, if it, you know it's here in town, you're going to come here over going to, to Amarillo where you're going to have to wait in traffic. It's just inevitable uh, up there. And so if you can get it quicker, faster, and easier here and save time, you're going to do it. And so getting all that will just continue to push push up on things. Uh, we're working, uh, Stephanie Tucker and the EDC is working more and more and trying to help have some foresight in that, geofence some stuff and try to see some of that. Um, trying to see if we're, if there's any areas that we're absent then that we need to, to look at. Um, you know, I think just looking in, uh, at the whole community, I think we need probably more childcare facilities, um, things like that. And so we're trying to help 
hone in on, you know, are we having a deficiency somewhere in, in an industry? Are we having uh, not enough drying cleaners or do we, uh, do we have enough restaurants? Do we have enough, uh, boutique, uh, realty? You know, that's the new thing, boutique, uh, realty stuff. Um, and so are, what are we missing? And so we're still trying to really wade through some of that. And that's, that's not easy to do. Um, especially as our, you know, our, our footprints changing, you know, when we change, we grow, we get more things. Well, you, we've talked about the Whataburger coming. I know just in reading social media comments, uh, like from Amarillo, for example, it'd be an announcement of a new fast food places place coming and people will say, oh, just what we need, another fast food. Well, you know what? Those fast food outlets wouldn't be coming here if they didn't think there were, you know, that was su- sufficient demand to support them. Yep. They're not just coming here out of the goodness of their heart. They're coming there to make money. <laughs> that's right. That's that's 100% correct. So they they have their own model and studies that they do in traffic analysis. That's 100% correct. Annexing is easier when there's no development already in place. But but if a neighborhood's already long established, like, oh, let's just say Canyon North on the other side of Hunsley Road, it becomes kind of difficult. And that that neighborhood was Oh, that was 1970s, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it was what? built at the same time as Hunsley. Wow, yep. okay. Uh, infrastructure uh, matters like water and sewage become major talking points. How do you retrofit those types of things anyway? And do you think annexation will happen for Canyon, like maybe in other directions, to in order to enlarge its tent? No, they uh, they deregulated annexation four years ago, two sessions, maybe three, maybe six. The only annexation we can do is volunteer. They have to voluntarily want to come into the city limits. That's the only way we can annex. What you're speaking of, we used to call unilateral annexation where we'd force it. Can't do that anymore. It's been it's been outlawed ultimately. There are a few exceptions to that. But in terms of Kenyan North, you know, I've had that conversation many times. The terrain and topography out there to put water and sewer would never pay for itself. Um, and so you'd have You'd have to have those residents, a certain amount of those residents would have to annex and wish to be annexed. Um, and so you'd have to come down to that. There's a methodology to do that. But it would just be impractical to put water and sewer line out there with how, how the terrain is. It would never pay for itself. Mm-hmm. The owners would have to, uh, they'd have to pay for it. And does annexation, regardless of how it happens, does it have to be contiguous, meaning you know adjacent to has to be touching the city. It can't just be an isolated bubble out in the, the country. There's one exception to it. Is uh, The only exception there where it doesn't have to be contiguous is if the city owns the land. And there is a piece of property that we do own that does not touch the city limits. It may eventually one day, uh, but yes, it does have to touch the city limits. And that could be a corner. And so it doesn't have to be. A, so if I had a corner here and then the other corner touches that corner, that could, that could be allowed. But yes, it has to be contiguous unless the city owns the land. Now, th- there's a new housing development being built west of Canyon along Highway 60. And, and I've been watching this for nearly two years uh, because I pass by it every day to and from work. Uh, from the looks of things, the developer has gone out of its way to build infrastructure like his own sewage, streets with curbs and so forth. They even have their own water well and tank. Uh, and not to mention they've uh, installed uh, drainage or uh, runoff pipes under Highway 60 and under the railroad tracks onto another piece of land that sits lower um, that uh, goes down to Gordon Cummins Road. Um, 
it looks like the kind of development that would fit well within city limits, but it's not. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, one, it's not contiguous. It's probably a mile from city limits. And so uh, in addition, we have infrastructure, especially sewer challenges on that side of town. Um, and so ultimately that development, uh, the Perry Williams group, uh, feels that they can build it better and cheaper than we can. And in some ways they can, because they don't have to follow all the Texas procurement laws. You know, the city of Kenyon and all government entities have to follow a very structured set of procurement and low bidder and best bid and all that. They don't, they don't necessarily have to do that. They try to do some of it, but the paperwork is significantly heavier on this side. Cities are the most regulated entities in the world. And so they're regulated from the state and federal government. And so they feel that they can build this cheaper and faster out there. The housing product is significantly different. I've heard that they're going to build $189,000 homes. So those are the type of houses they're going to build on that north side. And so they're not building those types of homes in Kenya. Not to say that they don't need to, they're, they're just not. And so that's the private free market side of this. You know, we don't dictate or get involved in any of that. Typically, we do keep our ear to the ground on affordable housing. Like we mentioned earlier, it is, we do have an issue with that. I do think we need more affordable housing, um, but we cannot, we can't dictate unless we get it through special financing to make a builder or developer do affordable housing. And so it's all, it's all private, private free market. And that's, that's their thing. And, and those values reflect the city's values, we, you know, we don't want to try to get involved in some of that stuff, let them do their, their business. Uh, but Perry and them feel that they can do it. You know, they're going to build their own wastewater plant and they're going to discharge that directly into the Creek. And so it'll go into the Tierblanca Creek and they, they're drilling their own wells. They'll have their own uh, water treatment, their own ground storage and elevated tank. They're going to build a thousand homes on the North side, a thousand homes on the North side of 60. And they'll do all their density first so they can help recoup some of those funds for all these major infrastructures. And so they are declared a municipal utility district in terms of the law. You see a bunch of the muds around the major metropolitan areas, especially the Houston area. I uh, see a bunch of those. This, I believe, is the first one out in West Texas. I don't even think Lubbock has any muds. I think this is the very first one out there. Wow, I could see this spawning some retail development even in that direction. It may just be a convenience store at the beginning, but after that, uh, a pizza, you know, carry out pizza, beauty shop, barbershop, you know, all the usual things that just people just need on a pretty regular basis. And $189,000, you know, at first I thought, oh, that's a nice house because that's more than what I paid for mine. But <laughs> that was 34 years ago. So <laughs> yeah. that's a starter house now. <laughs> it's a starter house. Yeah, that's as, almost as low as you can get. And, and I believe they're building the houses too. And so, you know, they're doing all of it. It's turnkey where some of the developers, they build all the infrastructure and then sell lots to builders. Um, a lot of these developers are doing it all. They're doing the infrastructure, public and private, you know, electrical, gas, all that. And then they're building houses. NMB Homes does that. And so several more are doing that. Uh, but, you know, it, it would be a struggle for us to extend utilities out there to serve them. You know, we don't serve any utilities outside of the corporate limits. We, and that's the deal. You know, you can't, you can't have any services unless you annex. That's, that's where we hold our, our line. Yeah. I think his property begins about a mile and a half west of Brown Road. And isn't that the city limit? Yeah. Brown Road is pretty much the city limits okay. right there at the, uh, at the extension, uh, ag extension. And he's, there. he starts just immediately west of the Cowboy Church. Right. I think that's Dow Road out there. If that, I had. That's the western end of it, yeah. which is two miles west. So, uh, yeah, it would, there would have to be a lot of annexing going on 
in the middle there. Yeah, and we can't right now looking at our utilities. We can't serve anything in between there. Even mm. we've yeah. talked about that with a, a certain developer about trying to develop it, but it's only like two hundred and fifty acres, and then you have a draw and a creek right there, and so it becomes challenging to build there. You know, we'd have to build at least a water tower out there. And probably a lift station. Can you can you speak to any of his other plans out in my area? Because I I know uh, just by looking at public records on uh, the tax assessor's site, he owns a lot of land yeah. south of the tracks. He bought all of Bob Lindsay's property, and so Bob Lindsay owned like six thousand plus acres, or six, I can't remember. It was because these they've owned even more land south of sixty. Um, they he has a there's a lot of land he bought, and he has his own. You know, they're they have a pit out there too. Um, so there's a progression. They're going to work their way, start to the north and work their way south um, through all that. But they're having to build all the major stuff now. They do have taxing authority. And so they do have a tax authority as well in some and, and a lot of this too. So they'll have their own property tax. I think the only thing they can't do is they don't think they can collect sales tax. I've heard for many years that the Amarillo area is on the cusp of a major population increase. And and thus far, I've not seen it, at least not to any great extent. Maybe it's just wishful thinking. I don't know. Maybe it's fearful thinking. I mean, the panhandle in general, meaning the top 26 counties, has has only grown about 60,000 people in the last 34 years, which is about 16%, less than half a percent a year for the whole panhandle. Only a handful of panhandle counties grew during the last census period, and well, we see the majority of the Panhandle's growth right here in the Amarillo metro area, either by residents of other Panhandle cities moving here or, well, declining death rate, yeah, births or, or in-migration from somewhere else. Hardly, that's still hardly anything to get the attention of demographers. That's a pretty slow growth rate. And yet I keep hearing these future forward tales of growth that it's going to happen here one of these days. What are your thoughts on that? I think things will continue to trend upwards for the for Canyon, Amarillo, Potter, and Randall counties. Those will continue to trend upwards. I think Dumas will continue to grow some. Um, Pampas kind of stived off, but most and Plainview's kind of just leveled out. You know, a lot of the communities aren't building a lot of homes. People want to live right here in the middle um, between Amarillo and Canyon, and there's enough more than enough jobs for those people to live here. Um, I think we're in for it for the next 10, 15 years. That way, we're the most of the growth is right where we're at. Sometimes I wonder if the fine folks of Canyon don't want it to change, that they fear rapid growth and all the possible loss of identity that would occur. I, I get that. I totally understand it. But change is inevitable, and existence without growth is a pretty rapid prescription for death. How do you juggle these realities to keep all the good and still continue to grow? You know, that's the, that's the million dollar question is, you know, trying to maintain our small charm, small town charm image. Um, that's the biggest, uh, devil's advocate I hear is trying not to lose some of that. I don't think we have, um, I think we're just trying to do this gracefully. I do think that, you know, people worry about that, but those are, um, those are the people that have been here 20 and 30 years. Um, I think it's a, it's a little bit of both. You got to have both. And, you know, I just tell people like people want to be here. There's something special about this place. They want to be here. They don't have the luxury of being able to be here 20 or 30 years like you have. You know, they want to be here too. And so you're kind of excluding them from that right to be here. And so that kind of 
opens their mind a little more typically when I get that. They just don't want Kenya to change what, you know, knowing your neighbor and talking to them, that, that small town, like knowing, you know, when I go to the dry cleaner, I know that I know them, you know, they know me, you know, they don't want that to lose that by too much population. Um, things inevitably change. If you don't change and evolve, you die. What's your best prescription for our future? I mean, after all, you you mentioned there's only been three city managers in 50 years. You may very well still be here to manage it all. I think the the future is great. Um, I think we have an amazing uh, city commission. We have an amazing city staff. We have a lot of really good people in here um, that just have a heart and passion for our community and our county. Um, I think there are a lot of bright days ahead of us. Uh, I worry significantly about the legislature and their overreach into local government. Um, it has contradicted what we knew as conservative values where, you know, local problems deal, you know, locally. Well, they're they're stepping into that realm. Um, I feel that they'll regress Texas in terms of growth. Texas is the fastest growing state in the, in the nation. And uh, I think that will regress with some of the actions that they've done to, to devolve uh, some of that. We've, uh, we've had a lot of talks about that. And there's just a lot of hamstrings that we are limited on doing. Like I said, with annexation, that's where it started. They took annexation away, um, you know, and so it, it becomes bartering with, with people to come into the town and, you know, they feel they can build uh, developments faster being, the, being outside of town and being outside of Amarillo because there's less regulation uh, yeah, that that's true. You're not going to get as many homes because you're limited by your your uh, amount of uh, water you can do um, <clears throat> by having half acre or excuse me one acre lots. You're just not going to get it. Um, it's a lot of that has really de-evolved, unfortunately, the way it used to be in those conservative values. Even ten years ago, those conservative values were very much you know local town, local problems, you know local decisions. That's that's not the case anymore, Nick. You've brought a bunch of really cool looking maps and so forth in here with you today. Is, are there any other things that you would love to share with us uh, that pertain to your work and how you manage the city? I think, you know, the biggest part is, you know, we're seeing a lot of growth to the north and, uh, and a lot of lot of expansion out there. And we're just trying as a staff and as a as an organization, just trying to keep up with it. And, uh, and it's, it's been challenging. And, you know, we have a very small staff. There's 125 of us for a town of 15,300. Um, we have significant growth changes needed to be made in the fire department. We have a, very, a combination fire department. We do not have a full-time fire department. I have, we've been working trying to, to improve some of that <clears throat> as our calls continue to increase year over year from the pre- preceding year. Um, but ultimately, you know, things are in great hands here in Canyon uh, from city stamps and as well as the school district. And, you know, we'll continue to embrace things. And, you know, we're very open and honest. And um, I'm very open and honest to anybody that asks. And, you know, I get a lot of these devil's advocates all the time. Oh, we don't want to. I was like, I get it. I get it. You know, it's going to change to some degree, even without the growth. If we didn't grow, it'd be the same thing. It's still going to change one way or another. You're going to sit still. If our downtown hadn't evolved and our EDC was so, um, uh, f- had such foresight to make investments in the downtown area, downtown of Kenya would be dead. If you've gone to a lot of small towns and seen what they didn't, guess what? Their downtowns are dead. And, and so, ours is vibrant. Ours is very, very vibrant. 
Our guest today has been Joe Price, city manager of Canyon, Texas. Joe, give us your best shot. Every day is a good day in Canyon. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our director of marketing and outreach initiatives, which includes overseeing Buff Speak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is director of accreditation and is our technical consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is dean of the college. You can find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings. Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, go Buffs! Buff speak.